We all know the value of having a star player on our team or an amazing partner or co-founder. But what about the opposite? What's the true cost of having someone on the team who drives negativity, who creates a toxic environment the rest of the team must then survive? On today's Startup Therapy podcast, we'll discuss how to identify and handle toxic teammates before their impact spreads across the organization. This is Ryan Rutan from Startups.com, back again for another episode of Startup Therapy. Joined, as usual, by my partner in crime, CEO of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. Will, today, we're going to have a chat about something we've both faced in, in our careers. I'm sure everybody's faced this in their careers, but uh, something that we've spent a lot of time thinking about and, uh, and, and solving for, and I think we've done a great job with it, but... Uh, Let's dig in on what it's like to have toxicity within the teams, in particular toxic team members, and uh, and what to do about them. What what do you think? What do you think in your mind? What's what's a toxic employee look like? Well, I <laughs> I think at a lot of levels, it's one of those things where you know it when you see it. But if we were to define it simply, I'd say it's it's someone who's in the organization that just wants to bitch all the time. Right. There's there's sure. there's no like there may or may not even be a legitimate complaint. They just like to stir the pot. They 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 yep. can't wait to have an opportunity to gossip, right? And there's nothing about their contribution like this that's helpful or useful to pushing the organization forward. It just makes everything kind of shitty, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And we're not talking about like legit complaints. We're not talking about you know, things that need to be addressed with an organization. This is just the, the the type of person who, regardless of the situation, you know, they're not even like the glass half full person. They're like, the glass is stupid. Right? <laughs> it's, you just don't want them around, right? And and we've we've had to deal with some of this. We've had um, to deal but with, I do. <laughs> so I was going to say, we, yeah, we've had to deal with, with, with plenty. But, um, yeah. you know, again, but just before we get into this, because folks that are listening to this, they know exactly what we're talking about, right? You know, I, I don't think there's a, a lot to unpack. They're probably listening because they have someone in the organization that they're dealing with that's toxic as hell, and they're trying to figure out, you know, what to do about it. Uh, and we've dealt with plenty of it. And I think we've done a pretty good job with it over the years, and so you know, we'll talk about it. But you know, I, I think we should probably start off with some delimiters here to say what we think. You know, where we draw the line between a toxic employee versus just somebody that doesn't agree with us. Because I don't want this sure. to sound like, you know, we're stamping out dissenters kind of thing, because that's, that's <laughs> right. not, not really what we're talking about here, right? What we're talking about is someone that can't wait to find the problems in the organization. And it's like, yes. dude, we're a startup. We're nothing but problems. <laughs> that's right. We are We are a collection of problems. Without yeah. those problems, we, have, we lack definition entirely. Like, how could we not have a ton of problems in being a startup. We're creating something out of nothing, right? At yeah. which point our team members are complaining that comp isn't high enough. No shit. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, of course it's not <laughs> high enough, right? Or if we're talking about, you know, hey, we don't have these benefits that another company has. Look, maybe we'd love to have those benefits. Maybe we can't, right? I mean, right. the list not that goes we on. we decided not to, right? It's... Right. We're constantly picking apart management's flaws, which somehow is always proportionate to the people who have the most amount of flaws themselves. Sometimes that's actually why they're doing it to kind of, you know, sure. to, to dissuade from their own. Attack, um, attack to defend, right? Attack Classic. to defend, right? And the thing is, 
when we have these folks in our organization, it's not like we don't know it, right? Because right, right, right. At first, not first, like we have enough problems to deal with externally, like trying to like build a problem or build build a product and take it to market and deal with competition, etc. Yeah. Now we've got this weird kind of battle brewing internally inside yep for no fucking reason right and, and, right that's the thing that's the thing with, with, that, right? with no intended outcome either and right. this is this is one of the the things that i always key in on when i start to see these types of behaviors manifest there's a few there's a little bit of calculus that i go through one has this person ever worked in a startup before or is this just a bit of an adjustment period right is this the goldfish just that's got do- dumped into salt water and they're like what the shit's going on here, right? Right, <laughs> right, right, right. And so they just start to complain by contrast to what they've done before, right? This is different. This is different. I don't like this. I don't like that. So I try to I try to give people the benefit of the doubt and say, like, are they just adjusting, right? Is this just uncomfortable for them right now? And something that as they understand why it is the way it is and that everybody else seems to have adjusted, that they start to adjust as well. The other end of that is, do they seem to have any type of an outcome in mind, any type of resolution in mind with the, the complaints or the, the, the complaining, the, you know, the, the noise that they're making, are they actually trying to achieve anything, right? Because sometimes right. you get somebody who's just like, maybe, and maybe it can be aggravating, but maybe you've got somebody who's a constant devil's advocate, right? right? Which can be useful. It can be super annoying, but it can be useful. Right. But they typically are doing that because they're trying to achieve something. They're, they're trying to make sure that things are tested, right? That everything's gone through, uh, you know, proper scrutiny. But if there isn't any type of outcome in mind, like when you ask them, like, okay, well, so how would you like to see this resolved? And they're like, I don't know. Like, that tells me most of what I need to know, right? They haven't thought to that part of the problem. It means that they're just thinking about problems. They're literally just on an Easter egg hunt for shit to complain about. Well, and let's build on that. And it's in the problem is, and this is starts to become the core of what we're talking about. They're not keeping it to themselves, nor are they addressing it with the people that can actually huh. fix it. Right? Yeah, exactly. What, what they want to do is they want to be at lunch or out for drinks or whatever, and they just want this to be a bitch fest, right? Yeah. They they cannot wait to gossip about this one problem, to complain about this one thing, to kind of get a little sewing circle going, so they can just rage on this one issue, right? Because at the end of the day, it makes them feel good, right? And I don't think we can overlook that, right? Because it's not like if we solve this one problem, that behavior goes away, right? That's correct. That that one problem will just get supplanted with another problem. It almost doesn't matter what the problem is. That's they're not looking for resolution. They're looking for an an issue. They're looking for friction. They're looking for a reason to be that center of attention. And, yeah, and that's they something want something very to post different. to their their company level social media feed, right? Right. In, right. in real life, right? That's what they're looking for. Like, what can I post uh, that'll get some likes, right? What can I use as some social currency amongst my colleagues mm. to garner some support, garner some attention? Um, and that's another behavior that I think you know it's important to watch out for because that one I have had personal experience with heading that off at the pass. There are times where for whatever reasons, and often it's not created within the organization, but people have some level of insecurity about something, right? They sure. don't feel like they've they've gelled. They don't feel like, you know, things are going well. They don't feel like they're getting the recognition that they need. 
And so they start to act out, right? You and I both have kids. We know how children do this. Well, it turns yeah. out we carry some of those behaviors <laughs> right through to adulthood. Right? Hey, dad, if you won't look at my picture, I'll bet you'll look at it if I draw it on the wall in permanent marker. Right, right, right. right. Yes, yes, I will. Right. And so one of the things that I've had some success with is when I see that it seems to be attention-seeking behavior, I look for a couple of quick hit opportunities to give those folks positive attention. Sure. And for, for something that I want them to garner attention for, right? And so you do that a couple times. And if you start to see the behavior shift towards, ah, if I do these good things, I also get some attention. But the reality is sometimes there's just some bad seed, right? And, and maybe not necessarily bad person, but wrong fit for the organization at a, at a bare minimum. Well, it, and stick with that. I think that most often you'll see this pattern behavior across all aspects of their life, right? Yes. They bitch about true. their last job, the job before that. They're going to bitch about their next job. They're bitching about their situation at home. They're bitching about their friends. There's always something to complain about. There's always yeah. this kind of moment where this friction has to happen. And it doesn't matter if they're here or at another company. The behavior is going to be the same, right? It's just going to have a different company name attached to it. Right. And, and I, I've yet to see, and think about this for a minute, I've yet to see a case where we had one of these ultra toxic level folks come through the organization, yet they were happy go lucky in every other aspect of their lives. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right? not, not been the case. It was consistently a reflection of everything else. It was either, you know, their, their personality disposition or it was where they were, where they were in life. And it's no different. I mean, we see this behavior, say, on Facebook, right? We all have someone yep. in, in our feed that's constantly bitching, right? Like, they're literally taking <laughs> the time to. to post it on Facebook, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you get it, right? <laughs> right. And, and I think at some level, what we have to be smart about, you know, as managers, is we have to start to distinguish between what is a true organizational problem, where this gripe absolutely does need attention, and what is a problem where this person needs the attention, right? Yes. Where, where it's, it's just, they're, the problem is just a conduit, right? Yep. Yeah, if the problem is just a conduit to attention, um, then yeah, right. It, generally speaking, not really a real problem for the organization other than that individual. Sure, and what tends to happen is, to your point of, of we sit down with, with someone and we say, hey, you know, I understood there's a, something that you've been frustrated with, you know, let's work through it. And let's say you work through the problem and then like whack-a-mole, a week later, it's another problem. You, you yeah. resolve that. A week later, it's another problem. And you're scratching your head going like, man, either I'm the worst manager of all time, which possible, right? Or this person is just dying for another problem. Like I can't put out this fire, right? Yeah. That person, that archetype absolutely exists. And you know what? They're not an uncommon thing to find, particularly in a startup yeah where the organization itself is shifting all the time, it's tough to find commensurate personalities. That's true. It's absolutely true. And, and I think that, you know, because of that shifting nature uh, of the organization, it gives them no shortage of simple, low-hanging fruit to pick off to complain about. Right. And if we don't do anything about it, let's talk about <laughs> the cost yeah. of doing nothing, right? Because... Yes. Our first reaction for some folks, for us, uh, Ryan, you and I, and in, in our organization, um, is okay. Let's let's not get too reactionary, right? You know, yep. again, yeah, they're right. Compensation isn't high enough. We're, they're right. You know, we did have to work longer hours that week or whatever. Like, okay, I don't 
you know, their, their complaints aren't totally off base. I, you know, I, I kind of get that. And to be fair, everyone complains about work at some level. You know, we go home and complain about the people that we work with too, you know, as the partners in the business. So it's, it's not unique to, to any one person. It's, you know, part of life. However, if we find that there's this one person in the organization that is particularly toxic, and again, I don't even think you need to look that hard. I think this person becomes really obvious, right? And we let that fester. We let every event where, they're, again, they're going to lunch or having drinks or whatever, where they just turn into sewing circle of bitching, we yep. are almost implicitly agreeing to it, right? By saying, oh, yeah, I guess we're just going to let that happen, right? By not addressing it, by not getting in front of it. It, gets a, it becomes an expensive thing to not address, and it blows up fast, right? Oh, it grows, it grows faster than dengue fever <laughs> in a nudist colony in an Amazon rainforest, right? Like, it shit just spreads like wildfire. And, and it's really unfortunate because we've, we've seen this even with startups.com, where you'll have one person who's truly the bad actor, and then they they spend this social currency, right? This complaining currency where they're throwing other people under the bus, maybe people that they know that other person has some small minor issue with it, and they exploit that stuff, right? They exploit these little issues and they create camps and they create followings. And all of a sudden you've got people who otherwise wouldn't have had any issues buying into this shit too. And then it becomes a lot harder to unwind because now rather than having a bad actor, it starts to get woven into the fabric of the organization. Well, stick with that for a sec, because you're talking about folks getting kind of infected by this behavior, and it, that's yeah. definitely what we're talking about. Imagine for a second the old school version where you've got angel on one shoulder and you've got devil on the other shoulder, right? At some point, the angel, which represents the good things that are happening in the organization, the product win you got, you know, the, um, the, the new benefit that got added, you know, maybe yep. a funding round that came around, doesn't really have much of a mouthpiece because Angel's too busy trying to fucking get work done, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Devil, on the other hand, makes it their job daily to just bitch incessantly about every possible problem that's going wrong, taking things yep. that don't require a lot of time and attention to complain about and making it an all-day Slack chat, right? Yeah. Yep. If we let that fester, if we let that devil on the shoulder do their thing over a long enough period of time, the average person on the team who was happy a minute ago is going to start to hear more from the devil than they ever, ever hear from the angel. Now, mind you, the angel stuff to the organization could be truly impactful, important, long-term stuff. Doesn't matter. If all they're constantly getting access to is devil on the other shoulder, constantly yeah. bitching, that's what's going to fill their headspace, right? Yep. And so now we've got this this perfectly otherwise happy employee now kind of getting a shitty attitude because that's all they're hearing all day, right? Yeah, that's and we know bad news travels fast, right? So the the more sensational the 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 gossip is, the you know the 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 higher up the food chain it attacks, um, the more interesting it becomes to everybody else. And again, even if they don't necessarily buy into it, even just by actively listening to it, they're they're starting to give it some some legs and some credence right and they're empowering that person to do more of this and and, it, and just kind of fanning the flames sure right? does 
And so you get a whole bunch of people, let's see, uh, at lunch, you got four people sitting at lunch, you've got the one toxic employee, and then three other employees that, you know, weren't that toxic a couple months ago, but they've been listening to this. Yep. What happens when one person starts to complain is other people just feel like they need to pile on, right? Yep. It's really difficult as a person in the organization, a person in this conversation, while everyone else is bitch, bitching about comp going, I don't know, what you guys are talking about? My comp's great. <laughs> like, yeah. who's going to say that, right. right? Super popular guy right there. Yeah, exactly. And so instead, uh, they're going to say, well, you know, you're, you're probably right. You know, comp is a little bit too low. In this case, what an easy argument to get on top of. Yep. But it's so easy to jump in on that conversation and to feel included by being part of that toxicity. Yep. That it gets into your point, to your point about the, uh, you know, like the comp thing, it's also in, in addition to being really easy to jump on pile on add to, it takes serious steel to go against that conversation. That's such a good point. And and there's, there's almost no benefit to that individual for doing that. Yeah. At least so you get isolated. You do. It buys you nothing. And, And honestly, it doesn't buy the organization anything either, right? Because that one that one dissenting vote tends to, if anything else, it's kind of like, you know, the, <laughs> you look at, you know, go to your Facebook feed and pick any one of the, the sort of highly charged issues of the day and look at the one dissenter and then look what happens to that individual and the rest of that thread. They get eviscerated. Absolutely. Right? And, and nobody, nobody needs or wants to do that. And, you know, to your, you know, to your question at at the top of this particular segment, which is what's the cost of doing nothing, right? The, the cost of doing something can be, can be extremely high for the employees. The cost of doing nothing at the management team, at the founder level um, is extremely high. And that's why it's so important that we take action. These types of issues do not have a way of working themselves out, right? Some issues do, right? You know, these little like interpersonal spats, sometimes, you know, you're better off to, to let the people sort them out themselves. But when you really do come across one of these toxic nuts, you've got to get involved and you have to start to take some action. And you've got to be serious about what's actually happening, right? It yep. can't just be, hey, I understand you have a problem in the organization. That's part of it. And we have to be able to embrace problems in the organization. And sure. when I have conversations with people on the team, I say, look, I'm not here to tell you problems don't exist. I'm not even here to tell you that that they're going to get fixed anytime soon. I want to talk about why you feel compelled to spin everybody up over this problem when we know we can't solve it yet, right? What are you getting out of that, right? Right. Uh, Have you presented 15 solutions to us that we just haven't acted on, that we actually have the ability to act on? Never. Never. The answer to that has never been yes. And... When, when you don't have any other opinion coming at you, so if you're sitting at lunch and you're, you're the, the, the bad actor in this case and you're just getting on your soapbox about how management is this bad, and conveniently no one from management is there to defend themselves or offer sure. a reason why this is happening, then you are <laughs> yeah. infinitely right, right? Yep. In, in, in that standpoint, you can go on forever about how smart and validated you are because you've identified the problem without having to defend whatsoever why you don't have a solution. Yeah, exactly. And so I think part of the the disarming tactic when sitting across from one of these folks and trying to address this issue is first explaining that I do understand what your problem is, right? Yeah. Um, You have to to validate it. You do. And, and, And even if I don't necessarily agree with it, I have to at least let somebody understand 
that I see where they're coming from. I've thought about things from their side of the table. I'm not blindly overlooking the problem. What I've found to be most effective, uh, and again, this is just the start. I mean, this is us trying to resolve it before we have to kind of take it to another level. What I've found is that sitting across from them and saying, here's how I've been trying to attack the problem. Like, like here, here are basically the, the options that I have in front of me, and here's how yep. I'm evaluating each of them. How would and you that's so evaluate powerful. them? Yeah. Because even, even, just, even just letting them know that you've already proactively thought about the problem and tried to address it takes away a lot of the steam, I've found. Right? Just saying, like, here's what I've already done. It hasn't worked yet. And so we can talk about that next. But I have made attempts to fix this problem. We're not ignoring it. And, right. and that should take some of the steam out of the, or some of the wind out of the sales, right? So a good, good option would be to sit across from the person and say, I understand your, your concerns. I share your concerns. So it's not like we're on opposite sides of the table. Sure. He, here are the three multiple choice items, A, B, and C, that I have to work toward uh, on this problem. Which one would you pick and why? Right. Nine times out of 10, the response will be something, well, uh, I don't know, blah, blah. I'm like, you, know, you seem to have a pretty strong opinion on this problem without having to spend any time with a solution. And it's not just yeah. so much trying to paint somebody in a corner, make them feel bad. That's not my goal. My goal is if you understand the problem the way I understand it, you'll treat it differently, right? Yes. It's really difficult to openly say, ah, oh, here's the problem. When you know damn well there's not a, a viable solution. We see this a lot when you look at really big problems in the world that people don't really know what the solution might be. It could be universal sure. healthcare, it could be global warming, yep. where people say, well, it should just be fixed, and I'm complaining, like, dude, do you have any idea how complicated this problem yeah, is? Right. Doesn't mean you're Quite wrong about what you're trying to do. Just pushing a button. Yeah. yeah, man, it doesn't mean you're wrong about the problem you're trying to solve. It just means you have to understand the complexity of the solution, right? And I don't think a lot of people take it to that level. But I think, Ryan, you and I are very empathetic people. So our, our first reaction when we start to see this is, what could we be doing differently to kind of make this problem go away? And I'm not taking ourselves off the hook, but I think there's a threshold at which we start, at point we start to realize we're not the problem. Yeah. And I think it even, you know, it can, that can often become clear just in the, in the conversation that you just illustrated, right? When you get to that point and you said, you're not trying to paint that person into a corner, but they can often paint themselves as the problem in that moment, right? If there isn't right. a solution oriented, if they're, if they're hearing what you're saying, if they're now seeing the problem in the same way you are, and they're still manifesting the same level of toxic behavior around that problem, there's not much you can do to fix that because, again, you can fix that problem. Another one's going to crop up, right? This is just pointing out that this person has a serial issue with wanting to be wound up about something. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes, too, I think we're sometimes giving too much credit or credence to the problem as if it's something justified. Sometimes it's just bullshit gossip. Oh, it right? is. Yeah. And, yeah, sometimes and, <laughs> quite literally yeah. bullshit gossip. Well, right. And I think where this starts to become a really big, meaningful concern to us as managers in the organization is the moment this thing starts to escalate, the moment it's not just this one person's problem, but now it's this infectious right. disease that starts to, to, um, to infect other otherwise good kind of stable employees, what ends up happening is now this manifests, it becomes this new problem that the whole organization must face, right? Now all of yeah. a sudden, all that energy we were trying to put externally, 
you know, to get customers and to beat competition and to do all the things we're trying to do. This becomes this big hairy mass that we have to deal with internally, which takes away super valuable resources by which we don't have many. Yeah. And now this starts to get really bad. As if if we don't fo- solve this problem, which is often a person, internally, we're going to start to experience problems externally in growing the organization. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as founders, it's one of the most frustrating situations to be thrust into. Dealing with big problems is something that we expect as founders, right? I think we all enter into this knowing there are going to be major hurdles, gargantuan bosses that we have to beat to get this right. And there is something so demoralizing, so draining. If we go back to, you know, when it's just like the bullshit gossip stuff, I would much rather deal with like a solid competitive issue or a major technical flaw any day of the week rather than have to unwind these things because they're just so unnecessary, right? And I think that my strong sense of justice just doesn't allow for me to be okay with that. I look at it and go like, you're just creating a problem for the sake of creating a problem. And I think that like emotionally, this is one of the hardest things to handle, right? And it's so hard to remain objective in that situation and try to carefully unwind it and deal with the issue when the issue isn't worth solving in the first place, right? When it's just like some bullshit gossiping, when you want the answer to be, hey, how about this? How about you shut the fuck up, grow up, <laughs> and let's move on, right? But you can never do that, right? That's never... You that's, want that's, to, that's, right? that's, Oh, man, that's option A. <laughs> you always have to skip over that one. Sure, And sure. I think it's so frustrating. Well, I think about it, building a startup has got many analogies. One of them to me is like trying to paddle a leaky boat to shore, Right. And now I've got somebody in the back of the boat that's barely paddling, that's firing holes in the boat while I'm trying to make this thing go forward, and then bitching to me about why the boat's sinking. <laughs> Tapping you on the Come back on. of the head with their paddle the entire time. Right? Yeah, and, and all I can think to myself is, this shit is hard enough as it is. If we that's had exactly nobody it. spinning stuff up, this would be a yep. really hard job, right? Yeah. There's this concept that Management must just have all these extra cycles where, you know, my complaints must just be something they can absorb in addition to the 9 million other things that they have to do. Yes. And again, if it's a legitimate complaint, damn, dude, that's management's job to go fix that. That is our job, right? Right. And those are the type of issues that we expect to tackle. We expect to encounter them. We're prepared to deal with them. We will gut it out and figure out solutions for them. It's the ones that don't deserve a solution that are so hard to solve. Well, right. And here's the thing. For the folks in the back of the boat, in in my little rowboat analogy here, who are just sitting there complaining versus picking up an oar and paddling a little damn faster so we can make this thing to shore, we'd be better off without them. That's weight on the boats. Yep. Right? In my mind, in order to be in a startup environment, in order to thrive in a startup environment, you have to have morale and you have to have optimism, right? You have to have optimism in the face of a ton of shit that you're gonna deal with every single day, nonstop, for years, in order to feel like you're ever gonna be able to make it on the other side of this thing. This isn't an established company where our story's already told, right? We have to be able to believe that no matter how shitty things are, we're gonna make it to shore. The last thing we need in this epic hell spawn of a journey 
is to have someone telling us what a shithead we are the entire time, right? <laughs> right. Doing the opposite yeah. of coaching us forward, right? Yeah. No, it's, it's so not true, helpful. man. It was, no, it's not at all. A couple weeks ago, we were dealing with like this horrible uh, series of events as a family, right? Like the kids had gotten sick, then my wife and I had gotten sick, and we started to get a little better, then one of the kids got sick, I stayed sick. Like there was just all this stuff going on at once. And then like we we had to deal with some visa issues, there was just like a lot going on. And I still had a pretty upbeat attitude. And I was talking about something like, oh, you know, well, it'll be all right, we'll just, and, and somebody who knew the situation pretty well was like, dude, like, how, where does the optimism come from? And without even thinking, I just turned to look to him. I was like, man, lots of startups. <laughs> and just like whistled my way out of the room, you know, like, but it's true, right? Because we do run on that and we need it. And when you got somebody who's in there, just literally grabbing handfuls of optimism and throwing them off the side of the boat, it's a problem. It's, it's a, a huge issue. problem. Let's talk about what we do about it, right? Let's, let's talk about kind of like how we cut these toxic folks out of the system and really, you know, what the, the net benefit is. Uh, because often we're thinking about, okay, this person's super toxic, but, you know, maybe they're good at their job or maybe we really need them because they fulfill a certain role that's hard to replace. Ooh. And so we're, we're only, yeah, yeah, exactly. We're, we're only thinking about that cost to losing them, right? We're not thinking about the cost to keeping them, right? And so, you know, I, uh, just a little bit of background, Ryan, we'll use this as reference. We'll kind of talk about our own sandbox. Startups has been around a little over seven years, startups.com. Um, we've, uh, we've got about 200 employees. In that time, we've hired, you know, hundreds of employees of, you know, some have gone on to do other things, some have, have, have quit, some have uh, been fired, etc. What we found is that in that time, there's been a handful of folks, not tons, by the way, a handful no, no. of folks that were truly toxic players, right? Now, yep. before we sound like we're putting the scarlet letter on these, these folks, I think there's some important caveats because people don't know us that well. They don't know the organization, et cetera. Some of these are our really good friends. Right? Yeah. <laughs> these, are, these are people who my kids play with, right? So these aren't necessarily people who I'm trying to you know, put in this, this one box like they're just some total evil people. Some of these folks are good folks otherwise. But in our organization, yep. maybe for that time period, we're toxic as fuck, right? Yeah, yeah. Once the boat uh, made it to shore, we wanted to go party with them on the beach. But until then, <laughs> they, they did not yeah. belong as part of this journey. That's right. And the, the friend aspect of that I've found can, can be problematic, right? Of it can lead to, right? Because they feel like they have that freedom. They've got that level of comfort and I've had to have that conversation a couple times where it's like, look, we, we aren't friends and I, I cherish the friendship. We are also colleagues and I rely on that relationship. Right. Good and point. to the extent that, you know, that you can't completely separate those things, that's fine. But I cannot become a one-way dumping ground for all that's wrong when there really isn't that much wrong either, right? Like, it's just like when, when all of a sudden the relationship just becomes about that. Like when I realize, like, I'm, I am just a catcher for this person's problems, whether they're work-related or something else, that becomes an issue. And, I, and I've had that happen where that friend-colleague boundary has been a little more blurred. You bet. And so, again, I'm just uh, kind of caveat. We're not talking about people who we've totally demonized. We're talking about people in this case that we care no. a lot about. 
but are still very toxic to the organization. And in each of those cases, this is over the past seven years, we've always come to the same cadence of events. At first, it was some bitching. And again, we're pretty close to all the people in the organization. So we'd sit down with them and said, hey, you know, what are we missing? What are we missing? And we'd have some some friendly conversations. We'd hug it out. You know, everything was good for a minute. Then in short order, weeks, months later, same thing again. Try the same thing, you know, try the same approach, et cetera. Try to understand, et cetera. Same thing happens over and over. And while that was happening, talking about this cost of doing nothing, while that was happening, all of these otherwise good soldiers on the team were starting to turn bad, right? Now they were going to lunch with other people and kind of causing the same problem. And we were smart enough, I think, as a management team to recognize some of these patterns fairly early in our career. And start to say, we've got to take a hard stance, right? In our case, it was parting company with folks, yeah, right. Not again, not as a first line of defense, but over kind of the maturation of of this toxic relationship, we said we've got to pull this person out of the organization. They could have been a manager, they could have been you know a, a team member or somewhere, but we have to have them out of the org. Yep. I don't think we ever did anything. I, I'd like to believe we never did anything to like, you know, kind of like like walk them out in this horrible fashion, right? We tried to be extra mindful of letting them kind of go out uh, like a gentleman, gentle or a lady or a gentleman, you know, in the process, and also make sure that you know it wasn't personal, etc. But I gotta say, and, and you tell me your version of this, I don't think anybody questioned why that person was gone. No, I don't. I don't think so. I, I think the the only time we saw any any concern around the decisions were when there were people who were very close to them who had also been behaving a lot like them. Oh, good point. Felt threatened by that, right? And and so you know, and and sometimes not even threatened by it, but you know, people develop relationships, and so you know, regardless of whether somebody deserves what they get or not, there's always going to be somebody who's there, like you know, well wasn't their fault or, or maybe they bought into it, or maybe they understood the decision in a different way, or they understood that person's behavior in a different way. Maybe their personal details we didn't have, not that right. justified it or would have changed our decision, but that made that person feel differently about it. You know, and we've always done, I mean, to, to, you know, to further illustrate what you were talking about, when we've gone through this as an organization at startups.com, we do a hell of a lot of analysis and we talk about these situations a lot as 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 they start to come up what we've already done to address it what can we continue to do to address it and we're doing a lot of analysis in the moment the other thing that we've always done is a lot of postmortem on these things and i can tell you that in looking back at them not even once was i like gosh we should not have we should not have done that or we shouldn't have done it that way the only thing I would have ever done differently in a couple of these cases would have been to take a harder stance sooner. Literally the only change. Yeah. And that's it, which makes me feel good. All right. I'd rather err on the side of caution and gentility than, than to have said like, you know, we might've pulled the trigger a little fast on that one because we were gun shy from something that had happened with somebody else previously. I don't think we've ever allowed any past behaviors. We've certainly learned to watch for some of the signs but we haven't ever allowed any of the past behaviors of another individual to color our thinking with, with a current situation. And I'm and pretty proud of that. Here's what we've seen on the other side of this decision every single 
time. And, and again, for folks that are that are considering this problem, if you're listening, if you listen this far into the podcast, then my guess is you're definitely considering this problem. Here's what we've seen every single time. Number one, when the person's let go, everyone knows why. There's yep. there's like some some shock. Like, oh my god, I can't believe it. But everyone knows exactly why, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I can't uh, believe it took them this long. Yeah, yeah. The second is there's always at least a couple email Slack messages discussions offline that where somebody says, why did it take you guys this long to do this? Like this yep. person's been toxic forever and it, it looks so bad on your end that you weren't addressing this sooner, right? Well, dude, that would have been useful information <laughs> prior yeah. to this, but whatever, right? There's it's another that going kid. against the grain thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's such a painful situation to be put in to feel like the narc, right? Nobody right. wants to be that person. Exactly. There's an, another group of folks that always come to the surface and say, thank you so much for finally addressing this, right? A little bit different than the folks yeah. are saying, hey, why didn't you do this sooner? Other folks that are like, man, if I had to go to one more lunch, listening to her bitch incessantly about the organization, you know, my head was going to explode, right? So yeah. like, a, th there's no one sitting around unless they're toxic themselves going, man, I really wish that I, I, we could get that toxic person who did nothing but gossip and say awful shit all day back. Right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. no one's wishing that back now. Um, and that's, that's something we didn't really talk about, but like, even the, the, we did talk about how it spreads and how it starts to involve other people. We didn't really talk about how it ends up impacting people who aren't behind it. It's just as aggravating for them, right? Having absolutely. to listen to it, having to, yeah. And that's the thing, right? If you don't go along with it, then you're on the outside, which can be just as painful or more so. Right. So it is such a challenge. We've also never seen a situation, and you, you touched on this, where we've ever said to ourselves, man, that was a mistake. I hope we can get that person back, right? Yeah. To your point, every time, we're like, oh my God, we, I wish we did this six months ago. Because every single time we did it, every, every and it's a tough move, and it's been brutal for us to do it, so I just want to be clear, it's yep. not easy at all. But every time we've done it, it was almost like, the clouds pulled back and sunshine came through for the first time. <laughs> Everyone was the whole happier. Time, yeah. Yeah. The we, whole time you were saying this, I was literally thinking like we, at this point in the podcast, we could have just pushed play on Louis Armstrong's wonderful world, right? <laughs> like that would have just been like, just let it go. Just. <laughs> and, and I don't think we appreciate how much overhead as managers we're dealing with, right? When it yeah. was all this consternation leading up to separating from that employee. Then they're gone. Then the next day we wake up and we're like, holy shit. Like, I don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. Yeah. Like, yeah. Now, now think of all the people, ourselves included, that just got affected by that decision. Now think of how many cycles aren't being distracted by negative, useless internal shit that yeah. can now go to external stuff that actually grows the business and solves a lot of the problems we were bitching, out, bitching about to begin with. Right? Yeah. I think from, from a manager standpoint, especially a young manager standpoint, if you haven't been through this cycle before, if you haven't had the opportunity to see what it's like on the other side of this decision, then you can't, it's really hard to appreciate how important it is to make this move. We've seen it enough times that now when we see the pattern behavior come up, we know exactly how this story ends, right? Yeah. And, and we, we know that we need to move on shit as fast as possible both in rectifying behavior internally or, yep. you know, cutting bait if need be. Yeah. And again, taking it stepwise and making sure that we're doing everything we can at each stage to head it off at the pass, but to make the right decision at each level, right? Not to let it fester, not to let it carry on further than it needs to, 
but to make sure that we're doing our diligence at each stage and understanding whether we've done everything we can to address that. Right. Yeah. And uh, like I said, sometimes it's an adjustment period. And sometimes it has a, a lot of the times, maybe even most of the time, it has nothing to do with the organization. It's stuff that's going on in their lives. It's creating this negativity, this toxicity. Because we've also seen the inverse of the situation where somebody has a lot of issues in the personal life, right? They've got all sorts of negativity, but they show up at work and we're the type of organization that is very supportive. Uh, we're, we're very in touch with, with our team. Uh, we know what's going on in their lives and, and we try to be there for them. And with the right people, with the non-toxic population, which again is like 97% of our people over time have, have been on the right side of this equation, it becomes something really special and valuable for them. Right. So rather than letting it becomes the opposite, it becomes that safe space. It becomes the place where the good things happen and, and they can embrace that. Right. That's what I always look towards when I think about when we have to face one of these situations, I think about all the times, which is most of the time that we've been on the other side of this thing. And I take a lot of solace in that when we have to make the hard decisions, knowing that for the vast majority of people, they don't have an issue. And for the ones that do, even the majority of them, we become that positive point for them. And that feels really good as well. It does. When we go back to that analogy of the, the angel and the devil on both shoulders, the devil has a time and a place. To your point of being devil's advocate, it's your point of saying, hey, sometimes there are legitimate problems, right? Yeah. But that's not necessarily the person that's being truly helpful through the whole journey. If we were to, if we were to give a, a percentage, yeah, maybe 10, 20%. Of, of, of what's going through a, a, a team member's head should be the, the devil side of it, right? And, and maybe 90 to 80%, if, if you're optimized in a healthy organization of, of positive things, like how can we grow the organization? How can we solve problems, et cetera? But the moment those get flipped, we're fucked, right? Yeah. At, at which point, all that's getting into everybody's ears is all this negative, horrible shit. As an organization, it's so hard to come back from that. And if, as managers, if we let ourselves slip into that side of the organization, all of our resources, all of our time and attention is going to get focused internally, and we're never going to be able to row the boat to shore. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And... We hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later.